Hello and welcome, friends, to the YBCA 10 podcast, San Francisco's Center for Art and Progress. I am Dr. Tanisha Singleton, friend and co-conspirator of YBCA, and I'm happy to present to you this show all about art and social impact. Now, if you're a regular listener, which of course I'm sure you are, then you know that previous episodes have had individual conversations with each member of the 10. And now we are keeping it rolling with extended conversations with select members of the 10 and pairing them with like-minded practitioners and community doers around synergy with certain topics that are very intimate and shared between the two. And I am so happy that we are reconnecting in this episode with Alex J. Bledsoe, a multidisciplinary artist whose work focuses on black liberation and dismantling exploitative systems. Now we've shared throughout this whole season of episodes that the 10 have been working for over a year on launching creative prototypes that are rooted in addressing racial justice and climate equity head on. And if you've connected with YBCA, then you know that this launch is here. May 14th is the opening celebration revealing everyone's projects that all have so consciously and deeply they've been invested in. Dream Seeds is the given name to the YBCA 10 Artist Workshop. And inside their studio, you'll find creative work that invites your participation. You are invited to play, move, question, contribute, and dream your way through the space. Now, these artists have been waiting for you to engage with them and to experience their prototypes. And if you're in the area May 14th, Saturday, then you are more than welcome to come. But if you are not, no worries at all, as this exhibition will be open and available to the public through September. So please make sure you find the time to check this out. Now, Alex's project specifically, titled Reroute, Reroute, is a multidisciplinary performance, installation, and soundscape reflecting black homemaking, antidotes and portals through the wake and ongoing violence of imperialism, racial capitalism, and displacement. Very amazing work that I hope you all get out to YBCA to experience for yourself. Now, this concept of creating sacred spaces, what is home? and what health and well-being are for black people here in the wake of slavery and colonialization is something that is a shared passion, dedication, and immense interest to someone Alex has looked up to for a very long time and who we have the honor of pairing her in conversation with for this episode, Miss Kara Page. Kara Page is a black queer feminist cultural memory worker, curator, and organizer and she is leading a brand new project called Changing Frequencies, an archival memory and cultural organizing abolitionist project, building power within communities who want to confront, heal from, and transform and dismantle the historical and contemporary exploitative practices and abuses of the medical industrial complex. Now, you know, some things just hit different, (laughs) and this conversation is no exception. I'm joined with my co-pilot, Annalisa Escobedo, YBCA Senior Manager of Engagement and Impact. And this conversation, we're just a fly on the wall taking in everything that Alex and Kara share together as artists and human beings. Things like, what is cultural and memory work? stories of healing and the the creation of sacred spaces and art as a supplement of healing grief and collective care so with that it is my pleasure to invite and bring you into the conversation with alex j bledsoe and kara page
the Alex Kara page. Thank you so much for joining us. Alex, I would love to start with you and just have a check-in, see what you've been up to since the last time that we spoke. I know before we started recording, we were chopping it up a little bit since it's been a minute, but would love to just hear, you know, kind of how you're doing, what you're up to, and get an update on this prototype that you've been working on for, what, a year now, about? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. And I'm just super honored to be in conversation with Kara um, and and both of you as well. So you asked me just about what we're building at YBCA and the prototype. So I think I've spoken a little bit to each of you about this, but the project is called Reroute Reroute. And it's a multidisciplinary installation in performance and soundscape that's exploring Black diasporic homemaking and specifically looking at prototype prototyping what does it look like for a community to have space to grieve to have space to express rage and self-defense and um, practice those things and then also to be in, in community um, healing and whatever healing modalities it is that that we um, feel called to and i guess i should just i really kind of want to start just before that with just sharing that i'm really honored to be in community and in conversation with um, Dr. with Kara Page and how um, I actually came to your work because I was in London actually and there was an organization called Healing Justice London and I was like wow look at this organization that has this intersection of like healing and health and well-being and anti-racist frameworks and really looking at how you dismantle the systems that make us unwell as well as you know tend to each other and ourselves in community um, looking at anything from like herbalism to embodiment and dance and all of those things. And so, yeah, so I had no idea where it originated, like where it started. Um, and then to kind of find out that it actually started with you and your collaborators in the South and, you know, really coming from like a black feminist um, space. And I was just like, wow. So the more I started to dig into your work, I was just like blown away. Like even before this conversation, I was re-listening to one of your talks with class and I really, I was like almost in tears because it just, listening to it like a second time, like, I feel like I pulled out even more than I did the first time. And I was just like, understanding a little bit more because I haven't been doing the work as long as you, you know, so I haven't, I don't have as much like 30 years of experience interrogating these systems and like really being committed to creating health and well-being for our people and to see someone like really setting the tone and like, Great framework to be in, moving. Yes, I'm so honored to meet you and to hear more about your lineage and how we've crossed paths and streams and journeys. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about ancestral, so I have no yeah. idea. But thank you for naming how 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 we came yeah. to this path, this yeah. passage, and crossroads. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm deeply excited by your work. So it's just wild because as a multimedia artist, I don't even know what that means. Cultural memory artist is how I like to say it. Um, I found your work through that lens. And I was like, oh, look at this. Like, you know, just looking at the, at looking at grief, looking at trauma, looking at healing and transformation. And mm. in some ways in the ephemeral, in touching earth and body and carceral systems, I was very moved to find your work. And now to know our crossover, I'm just thrilled. I'm deeply thrilled. Not an accident, fantastic. 
<laughs> is any what is an accident now? That's right? right. Synchronicity. It's synchronicity. Yeah. Not a coincidence, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's just meant to be. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And I was definitely curious too when you're talking about just our ancestral lineages and things that ways that our streams are crossing everything. I would love to just know more about like where you're coming from and like you yes. know where where yes. you were born and raised and how that influences. I know you talked a lot about um, Southern radical traditions and how yes. that has a lot of the work that you've done. So yeah. Yeah. please share. Yes. Oh, I love that question. Um, I grew up in two portals, one along the Delaware River um, between, you know, the line between Pennsylvania and New Jersey um, with my mom, single mom, who um, is of European ancestry, um, who she and I just had a path. We had a journey and she and I were survivors of violence. My father um, was her abuser and I was um, the witness of abuse and violence in our family. And I also grew up with my father who lived in Massachusetts and he and I healed together. He's African-American and, and Seminole, although he didn't know his Seminole roots. So I'll come back to that in a moment because I'm on that journey. Um, but between the two of them, I was very much always a live wire of living inside of how do you heal uh, generational trauma from violence and abuse on patrilineal and matrilineal lines and family? And then how does that crash into um, racial politics, class politics, gender politics during the 70s when I was born, when it was almost still illegal um, to be of mixed race, right? Because the laws in the books against miscegenation um, were, still, were just still coming off um, as I was born in 1970 in Philadelphia. So that really is the, the root of my journey. Um, and because my grandparents disowned me as a mixed child, um, as a black child, I was also raised by my great grandparents and my great aunts, in particular, um, my black great aunts who changed my world. and instilled in me uh, the grace and power of believing in Black people and in Black women and how to take space, how to take power, and how to be creative. I come from three generations of Black, uh, I was going to say, I think feminists too, but Black artists um, and cultural workers. So that lineage has brought me here to work that is deeply rooted in stories that engage survivorship that engage ways to think about generational trauma and how you break cycles of violence in family or in community, um, not just with state, um, but I am super fascinated um, by how state has used uh, scientific experimentation and scientific racism to parse out literally what bodies are deemed expendable and what bodies are not because of because of our genes, our DNA, our abilities, um, our race, our gender, our sexualities, our class. Mm -hmm. Like these statuses, how they actually get defined by science as um, less than human and pathologized. Mm -hmm. And when I rode in on that train, I, I recognized, oh, in many ways, I wasn't meant to survive because I'm already under, <laughs> under the stethoscope or under the microscope, if you will, of um, what is perceived as wrong, deemed as ugly, you know, I, I'm thick, I'm a heavy, 
black queer woman, feminist, mixed heritage, and what a mess, you know, that scene is- Checked <laughs> all the boxes, right? Seen as dangerous mm -hmm. in society. And I just took that like a rope and just swung out and yeah. said, wait a minute, how are we gonna right. break this down? And that's deeply rooted in the cultural political work that I do now and the healing work. Um, and that was really rooted with the dismantling eugenics and that, absolutely. right. I, I know that's, I think when we met first that is. and was getting involved, right, with that project. Want to expand on that one? The anti-eugenics project came out of work that I've been doing for 20 some odd years as a reproductive justice organizer um, and as a cultural worker. I've been mapping the lineage of eugenics in the U.S. and its impact on Black and Indigenous communities through a, a huge medical industrial complex timeline that I'm co-curating with Susan Raffo as part of our project, Healing Histories Project. And we have thousands and thousands of data points of black and brown, queer and trans, disabled, uh, immigrant, refugee communities, you name it, like how we intercept and interrupt and how we've been controlled by the medical industrial complex and eugenics. And that's how I met Jack Chan and many of the uh, co-visionaries of the anti-eugenics project that just held this convening that we worked on with Dr. Tunisha Singleton and the Crux crew on um, really showing an arc, a lens, using the arts, using media, using um, conversation, meeting with movement leaders, not just academics, but movement organizers that understand co-policing the prison industrial complex and the medical industrial complex as eugenics in the contemporary times. So that's and survival. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you said, it was, it's, <laughs> you check every box of not meant to, right? Yeah. Not meant to be yeah. dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And it is literally a combat. That's a, right. A, a fight like in the right. very literal, not just figurative sense. Absolutely. Which is why healing justice is so yeah. critical because it cuts across when we created it in, and mind you, we wouldn't say we found it, right? We're pulling forward from lineages of healing traditions and knowing that birth workers and healers and root workers have been at the liberatory liberation tables for centuries. But to understand the relationship to healing and what we're gonna build to disrupt what is being used to harm us immensely, psychically, physically, emotionally, environmentally, right? Um, that even having wrestling with that conversation in the early 2000s, people thought we were, out the box. They were like, we can't talk about healing or grief. We don't have time for that. We're like, we're, we're healing the earth. We're healing our bodies. We're experiencing fascism, anti-black racism, homophobia, xenophobia. What? <laughs> so right. how do we how do we hold these many levels pummel that are pummeling at us all the time without acknowledging mm -hmm. it's changing our shape. It's changing our molecular yeah. relationship to the earth, uh, to ourselves, to each other. If we're not understanding the long-term effects of hate and violence on our literal psychic, emotional, physical bodies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Alex, I, I would love to hear you jump in here too, because I'm wondering yeah, like yes. with everything that the, doing memory and cultural work, yes. it's like, how do you do that and heal at the same time, right? Like that's on right. a parallel path. That was going to be my, one of my questions yeah. as well too. And I think that's something that um, with this project that I'm exploring too, and even just, I think with our lived experiences, people who are, you know, engage in this work. And I think the more we see, the more we like are able to see the full plot 
of like all these systems that are interweaving, which I think just living in the United States as a black or racialized person, you know, BIPOC folks in this country, it's almost like a gaslighting experience where we have to every day get up and pretend like everything's okay. Like that in a way that, that um, it reminds me of that meme where the person's like sitting in a room full of flames and it's like, this is fine. It's like, that. it feels like that's what's going on in this Spot country. On. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, uh, in order for me to get out of bed and care for myself and like do my hair and uh, somehow make some money to survive, I have to almost like push off the like grief and the analysis of what is actually happening in, a, in ways where it's like, okay, now that's a certain disembodiment because I know that what I'm experiencing and, and the systems that continue to like perpetuate these conditions um, is happening, but it's like, it, it almost can't be my full focus. And I feel like that's attention. That's something that I'm navigating now where, um, yeah, it's just like, we do the best we can and mm -hmm. have to also have like boundaries around how do we keep ourselves well, um, yes. understanding like what's around us. So I'm definitely so curious, like as someone who's been doing this work a long time, Carol, how you balance like doing the work and not getting burnt out, you know? And I, yeah, I, I was re remembering how um, uh, Angela Davis, which she was speaking about how this generation is starting to bring in self-care and also like just look, looking back at your work and thinking about healing justice and knowing that healing is a necessary uh, component and should be sent, you know, central to liberation work. Mm. It has been something that I feel like in the past has been so, so, so sacrificial and then like the leaders are sick kind of you know how you how you look at it and balance it yourself i mean i definitely look at i look at collective care in particular yes self-care is very important and that we need both right we need infrastructure for both and to understand um the black power movement how you know black liberation movements use um um, care had health clinics and healers, um, in particular, working with substance users here here in New York, in the Bronx, at a phenomenal project of um, using acupuncture for Black and Brown substance users. The Young Lords and Black Panthers worked together, um, led by an Asian practitioner, and blended traditions and practices in relationship to land sovereignty, prison abolition, and and building liberation ideas that centered our collective well-being. Um, and those stories seemed so isolated. So healing justice built off of, wait a minute, these are liberatory practices. They're not ad hoc, something to do on the side. And if we keep isolating leaders to just take care of themselves, that we're not dealing with the psychic, emotional, physical impact, as I mentioned, but we're also not drawing on traditions and lineages of care that we've used collectively and individually. And I was responding to, in the early 2000s, organizing with feminists of color internationally on the relationship to um, healers being criminalized and our traditions being stolen. Birth workers is an obvious one, um, even just from the South, indigenous and black healers in particular being criminalized starting in the 40s and 50s, right? Through laws that licensed elders that had been doing thousands and thousands of births and not seeing them as 
resistors <laughs> um, just seems like such a loss. So Kindred Southern Healing Justice Collective, when we looked at lineage of birth work in the South and understood it to be a liberatory practice, we then created a project called Black Women Birthing Resistance because we thought, uh, who's telling this story? Not the midwife doula story, but resistance as birth worker story. And we started to interview elder um, elder uh, midwives who said, I'm not an organizer. I didn't liberate nothing. I just had some babies. And I was like, yeah, but think about it. You were birthing Black people when no one wanted us to survive. So like, and they said, oh, I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> you know, So that that's the kind of conversations we were having. So, I mean, I'm, I'm being kind of cyclical, but I, I know for me, my care strategy has always been in relationship to the independence of everyone else's care strategy and how are we taking care of each other yeah. as much as taking care of ourselves. Because yeah. what you see in movement is people being told, well, you need to just take care of that over there, even though it has secondary uh, tertiary effects on everyone around you when someone just leaves because they had a mental, emotional crisis. It's as if we're not holding the culture of pain and grief when we when we lose someone to having a survivor experience or being disassociated, how are we not devaluing that, but saying, okay, well, what do we need to take care of each other while we move to liberation that doesn't denounce care and well-being as integral to political liberation? Yeah, that's beautiful. Right? Um, and I think even going back to living amongst these systems, for right. folks to be dealing with mental health challenges is right. it's it's so it's it's like heavy. To, to be expected you know it's to be expected and not That's to right. be and so i think like just what you're pointing to around that and how you know i feel like even today we're still able to give grace somebody had a surgery they needed time off but somebody right. is having a mental health crisis it's like uh, how do we treat that? Is it their fault? You know what I'm saying? There's still like a lack of understanding around yes. the way that this is. Mm -hmm. It's a traumatic experience to be alive in this time under these systems. So. It's sti stigma. It's still stigma. I was just about to use that word. Yeah. To mm -hmm. acknowledging that, okay, I need to heal and have that and that asking, right? And for the collective care and what any type of self-care and work one would need, that is in complete you know, contrast to of like, you know, our superwoman, black superwoman. That's right. Come on. Right. So it's like, if I need help, like, wait, no, that means you admitted it. So you're not this superwoman. You're not good. Of course you're fine. But, you know, and so it's those are larger narratives too. Where it's like you said, the culture has to mm -hmm. step up and acknowledge and recognize these things that are harmful. That How are we harming ourselves mm -hmm. and enabling or perpetuate right. these types of tropes and stigmas. That's right. And and be be transformative in how we think about them. I mean, if I I remember a part of your um installation, can I call it that, Alex? Like yeah. the the transition, what was it? It's something about remember how we talked about how the transition from grief when you get into the healing pool, there's something about the healing water. It's like yeah. how how we value even being disassociated as a survivor strategy yes. and understanding that you might go from grief into healing waters 
and still have grief. <laughs> you yes. know, you might yeah. go and st go into being in a healing process and still be yeah. disassociated. But, but the body knows what to do for the survivor strategy. I believe our people have yes. known what to do to survive genocide, slavery. Yes. We move in ways we've needed to. Okay. So it's not to stigmatize what we're choosing to survive. It's to ask the question: Do we have choices? Yeah. Do we have other ways? And is there an arc instead of feeling like it goes all or nothing? Right. And inside of these very curative ideas of healing, there's never an arc. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like harm reduction speaks to that. That's why yes. I truly believe in it because it is an arc and you go back and forth and you go in and out. It's not fixed. We yeah. don't need to be fixed. We need to be um, fluid in our realities yeah. and, and honor them in yeah. how they look and feel. 100%. And I was thinking about um, in the installation, the first room or space is okay. a passage space. So I'm trying to really honor the, you know, acknowledgement of the fact that if my ancestors survived the middle passage, then yes. that means I survived the middle passage. Like yes. that, that is in my body, literally. So I survived the middle passage. So everything else I was like, everything else is, it's like a permanent away message. Like you don't really get anything else from me. Like everything else is a cherry yes. on top. Like it's, we survived that and we're here now. And I think about um, with hmm. that room, which is um, supposed to kind of like mirror what this, the sea, you know, I'm not trying to create a space that's like re-traumatizing. I'm trying to create a space where it's like, metaphorically we pass through this space and even thinking about the ocean and like the depths of the ocean the depths of the ocean is black like it's it's and and that it kind of even mirrors what we're talking about when it comes to like experiencing grief or depression or you know these kind of natural reactions to things it's like we've touched the bottom like for those of us who have touched the bottom like we also need space to grieve that and to acknowledge it and um and not to have to go about life like everything's okay um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really inspired mm. by how many people are talking about grief right now and how it seems like, I don't know, cause you've seen way more of, of this trajectory, but it seems like people are starting to look at grief and people are starting to, um, I don't know. And it's probably very influenced by the work that you've done too, is just acknowledging that maybe this is a moment where generationally we've gotten to a place where do we have time to, can we reckon with this now? Like we've been surviving. Are we in a space now where we can, you know, I, cause I just think about my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents, like nobody really had time to sit and think about. Yes. They were like, you're saying, you know, birth workers were just doing the work. That's right. What they needed to do. And That's now right. is it that we do have like a small space that we can like do something more here? Yes. And you're contributing to carving that space out, right? Like it is, I mean, it's interesting to meet other cultural memory workers, you know, where working with memory, I think is very, um, I, I feel it's distinctly different because to me, working with memory on a cellular memory is part of healing work, right? And that whatever creative, motion, movement, installation that you're creating, but what you're drawing from is cellular memory, right? What you're saying of your ancestors moving through you and then creating and manifesting something that is bigger than your individual story. And so then this moment right now, I really feel like artists, Black artists, uh, queer and trans people of color artists are dealing with the cosmos in ways that feel and, and Afrofuturism that feels so much more 
palpable because we were in the COVID portal and we had a moment to be, oh, what does it mean to be still in this like portal? I think it changed our relationship to earth. I know it did. It changed our relationship to, well, this dis-ease or dis-ease and having the state control what we did with this moment, but also to understand Blackness, to understand uprising, to understand abolition, the converse, and to understand grief, like the conversations that unveils at this particular moment, that's cosmology. Like, I'm like, we are in a different cosmology from 2019. We are different people now. And how we enter that is so truly, I feel, about honoring that memory is not a bad thing. To understand trauma, the memory of trauma, is that's not the bad thing. The trauma is bad, sure. But bad isn't even the right word. The trauma is... It is It is what it is. But who we become in remembering these things, that's what I'm interested in. Who are we becoming when we reckon, like you said, Alex, reckon with it, transform ourselves, and then manifest? Like, I, I feel good about moving through that right. kind of portal. Right. And I... I you made me think of, um, I was just on, so I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was part of this um, Afrocentric community there that recently, they had taken a hiatus for like 15 years or something. And so I was in this when I was like eight, nine, 10, 11. And they're, re, they're like birthing it again, basically, where they're gonna have all these black kids in, in Minneapolis who come together and you have a curriculum of like, African drumming, textiles, dance, like music, coach, all these things. And you have that all summer just with all these wow. in Minneapolis. And you made me think about um, this call we had recently as we we're trying to restart it, where the elder who formed it all, um, Mother Katie Sample, she was talking about the Adinkra symbol of Sankofa. And like when I think about Sankofa, I always think like looking back to go forward. But the mm -hmm. way that she articulated it this time was like taking what is good from the past. That's right. And I was like, that's that's the read because it. it's like, because we came through that, we have even more proximity to the land. It's like the exactly. people on the earth have more understanding of what's going on here. We're impacted in the same ways that like capitalism and um, environmental racism, all those things affect the land. They're affecting people closest to the land um, most acutely. And we have a lot of knowledge from being close to the land. So like it is, not something where I'm, you know, saying good thing we went through that. It's not all that, but it is saying like there's something to be gained. There's wisdom that is still in our bodies and in our communities that comes from having that lineage of of that experience that we can continue to draw from. And it's passed through us. It's yeah. just like like you said in your in your prototype, and which I want to hear more about that for sure because I feel like what I'm hearing about the work of, of you know, healing and, and, and memory work, it's like art can be that utility to help yes. manifest I, process. Yes, yes. And I was definitely hearing that so much with what Carol mm -hmm. too around just like the arts. And also I think it's also spirit. It's like, uh, I feel like healing justice as a framework, what I'm experiencing through it is that it's allowing for yes the full uh, embodiment of like spirit embodiment creativity, the things that come out of us that I feel like in this society are considered not knowledge, are considered um, not worthwhile or, mm -hmm. or valuable, and then seeing that that's actually one of the keys that's going to get us. Yes. 
key supplement, like a vitamin. It is literally what you are able to strengthen these things that have been passed through you and in the bottom, you know, and getting that out through filmmaking, anything like this. Right. Just like what is being boiled out of us that like usually is supposed to be kept kept down below. It's like, nah, that we need to bring that out. We need to honor that. And and why is it that this society wants us to believe it's not worthwhile because it's powerful? Mm-hmm. Powerful. It's medicine. That's it's medicine. Yeah. Yep. And it just leads to so many of the other important parts. Like you're talking about the second room. Yeah. Um, oh. The first one was passage and the yeah. second one's you about know, like. I don't, the second room is about rage and self-defense. And it's something that I think. I don't know. I, I was thinking a lot about um, when Kara, when you were talking about just uh, your upbringing, I was thinking about mine as well. Also having, um, you know, coming from a mother of European descent and a black father and growing up in Minnesota where it was very white and my, the white side of my family lived in Minnesota and the black side of my family lives in Milwaukee. And, um, and I was thinking a lot about like how in order to, get what we need to get to survive. A lot of times we have to put the rage somewhere else and uh, that it exists. And if we don't have space to express it, that's again, not the full embodiment of our whole human self, our whole human spectrum of emotion. And I think that's what I'm really trying to do with my work is how do we dismantle the systems and also heal in ways that allow us to embody the fullest expression of ourselves. Because I feel like once we get that, when we have a little space and a little bit of, um, you know, the space to, to be that, um, it has more liberatory p- potential in our interactions with one another, like on a small scale in our relationships, in our families, then in our communities, then, okay, now people are getting a little bit more like political education. We just need the ingredients. And I feel like, um, yeah. So I guess when I was thinking about self-defense and rage, I, I didn't want to create a installation that was like healing equals love and light. It's like love and light is, is part, of, part of it. Part of it? Not yeah. part of it. Also, you don't just get love and light when you nope. are under these conditions because we, I personally feel like um, the ways that we're going to remake society is in a way that's unfortunately like going to have probably violent interactions. It's going to be revolutionary it's not about um Mm -hmm. you can and i really want to talk to you about this too care about just like how you think about like reforming things and revolution Mm -hmm. and how we um kind of like keep our eyes on the prize of like we can't fix this system that was supposed to you know what you're saying founded on eugenics and that how it it, um affects every element of society we can't fix that we have to dismantle yes. it and we have yes. to do things and that, again going back to like your work with abolition i'm curious how you hold those two realities of like lo- lessening the suffering while also keeping our eyes on the prize of yeah that's a deep question um i i want to give the example of working with health practitioners uh especially nurses and doctors who are who are for all intents and purposes healers yet by the time they come out of med school, they've been fed a certain style of, of healing that I think becomes more commodified and moves into like a healthcare system. And so I'm working with doctors and nurses that are holding the relationship to generational trauma in their work, which is 
asking the question for them, oh, how do I not perpetuate trauma in an environment that is seeking to provide health and well-being without um, understanding the repercussions that the person who's in front of you or the people aren't just harmed by the incident of whatever it was, violence or, or physical altercation. They're actually bringing in a whole lot of story and their body has multiple imprints before they walk through the door of a hospital or a clinic. And so it changes, if you look at it through that lens, it changes the role of a health practitioner, not to say that they're meant to hold all trauma, but one, what is the impact for them having getting re-stimulated to have people come in the door that they recognize they can't help or that they're already experiencing multiple levels of trauma based on their identities and their status in society, but also how is it affecting them? So you have, you're looking at it, nurses choosing to commit suicide or doctors at the height of COVID and people blaming and shaming them. And I was like, oh, is that the question? The question is, how do we hold um, people that are working inside of a system of care that is no longer working? Whether or not you knew the history of eugenics or scientific racism, experimentation on black and brown bodies, no matter what, if you're coming into knowing that you're a part of something that might not meet your values and that that is literally you would harm yourself because you cannot fix it or change it. Um, so how do we roll back and just like take a moment to pause? Like one, not asking those people to blame themselves on the system, but actually understand small interventions and small strategies need to be honored. Yes. That Don Wooten, who in the middle of COVID fought against sterilization abuse and the COVID conditions for um, detained people at the Irvin, Irwin County Detention Center, the risk she took to report against ICE as a Black nurse in the South, and how do we not just revere her, but understand what kind of risk it's going to take. And my intention when I think about reform is not to just leave people out and be like, well, for you to be an abolitionist, you have to unplug and take yourself out of the system and just shift. And I was like, what? It's an ongoing mm -hmm. strategy. It's a long-term risk-taking event. Right. To shift how you believe and understand your role in these systems and understand what you can change minuscule to max. What right. you do differently is going to take a long time. Yes. Right? That's what I love. I love how you said that. And it's one of those things where I've always recognized like, hey, we're not going to be able to home run in one swing, fix everything. That is impossible. And if you think you are, you've already lost, right? You've already That's failed fair. yourself. These are little seeds, those little minuscule things that you're saying where this is a seed that is going to sprout and be trusted water trusted it will grow right. once if That's all right. of us put a seed that's right, right. yes and in our various you know whatever though it's going to grow out to be but as long as we all contribute into these little seeds it, it will work and i've always yes. one of the things when you hear about like well what does progress look like in these types <laughs> of things and, and it's like well shit <laughs> but what i've recognized though and at least in having conversations with with, with, with folks like like you both like when, when we when we spoke with Deanna, who's in the built environment, and Samora, and then we had uh, Faye as well from SF Urban Film Fest. And when I asked these types of questions about like, you know, what does progress look like? How do we how do we do this? There was a consensus about okay, well, artists need to have a seat at this table within 
whether it's built environment, healthcare, right, urban planning, all of these types of things. And we almost have to serve as translators because that environment, one, you know, the healthcare industry with workers or in architecture, they don't know these stories of healing. They, and it's fair if they don't know, because you only are, we have our own lenses and our own spaces. We're not meant to know everything, right? But if you, the risk, I think that's where the risk is. It's because it's foreign for an institution to feel like they need an outsider. They need help. That's the ego, right? So I think that's where the risk is from a corporate standpoint to enable, okay, and it's awareness to enable awareness within themselves to activate that and say, this is the, how we can incorporate art so that your memory work, your cultural work will be here within a specific practice, healthcare built, urban planning, whatever, um, you know, criminalization, all of these things so that we can share how our stories are infected within your, your space. And this is how you can improve it. Recognize the gaps and improve it. That's innovation. I love this. I love this because awareness of our collective bodies is already countering the capitalist uh, fascist narrative that we're not connected, right? Dr. Singleton, you're, you're lifting that up. It, it does start with aware, awareness that we are connected to the earth, to the rock, to the, the breath between us, the, an interdependence that doesn't denounce that that my care and your care, we are connected together, is disrupting this very isolated idea, right? I mean, Alex, that's what you're doing your work. I'm trying to do it in my like, we're all trying to do it. <laughs> you know, just this this the slow and steady, I feel, is as important as the fast and the bang on you. <laughs> just like the slowness of how do you become aware of a body when capitalism asks you to disassociate, yeah. asks you not to feel connected to each other, nor yourself. And trust yourself. Yeah. I was talking about healing justice is partly intuition. It's trusting intuition actually as a strategy, yes. but also as a technology. I was <laughs> like, what if intuition is technology? Memory as a technology. Oh, well then we would be um, you know, well, we're already fierce, but to understand these as technologies shifts right. the metaverse right. in terms of who is designing what that takes us beyond the cosmos. Yes, I was. I love that you said intuition because when you were saying sometimes, you know, it's the slow work and sometimes it's the rapid work, and it's. I feel like it's only intuition that can kind of give us, especially when we come become more interconnected with one another in community. It's like we're a body that we can feel what's supposed to be next. Like we know what the, what the time is. We know what the time is now. Okay. In this community, now we're listening. Now we need to listen next. We need to go. This is urgent. Like it's just certain. I hear what you're saying about just kind of like it not having to be binary, uh, throw it all away now. Or it's like, listen, like context specific. We are, you know, even as black folks like we're not a monolith we have different contexts we come from different places with different needs even under the same system so i think it's like i love the idea of giving people that green light to know that their intuition is worthwhile and helping to reconnect when i think that's what healing work has helped me to do like just in different um like working with plant medicine and psychedelics for me has been really 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 incredible and uh knowing a me that was already there but giving getting like some kind of a validation that like, yep, that intuition that you hear, that's- Yep. 
that's the only knowing like the only in in some ways is feeling because i think when we talk about like knowledge production and what could be known and what should we should be doing next and think tanks and policy things it's like everybody's guessing at the end of the day we're trying to base things based on history and we're still in kind of these frameworks that were set up by white supremacists um institutions and academia and all that stuff so i'm like that's a rubric of knowing that we can challenge by uh tapping into our intuition and and kind of continuing to honor that in one another i think yes intuition awareness for sure because this is you know annalisa i'd love to have you jump in too because i think this is you know we've been calling certain parts of what the what ybca is doing instilling really a rubric of knowing just like you were saying kara and alex and really looking at this as a rehearsal right this is what it kind of looks like when you get art when you empower pay and you know and instill confidence in artists to do work of this of this type yeah that's just like the essence of when we first started the 10 and thinking about the 100 the ybca 100 both for you alex and kara both of you guys are on that list is we ha- we wanted we it was an open call and it's funny how we during the pandemic asking everybody to highlight the public to highlight and nominate folks uh, leaders in their community we got so many people a couple folks in new orleans a couple folks in the east coast and of course our uh, folks here in the bay area that are doing it some people weren't even like think and people that you would think oh I, of course, we got a couple of like the Stephen Curry's, like very famous, well-known names. But then we got also like the 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 person that is just sharing information and articles to that like the little bit of seed planting that mm-hmm. happens is somebody that highlights that. But when going back to the ten, this is in essence from the one hundred. Like these are artists that are doing the work every day. This is their livelihood. They're in their buy-in is completely in it. Their mind, body, and soul. And this is what they're doing for their community and for themselves. Um, so how do we bring that in, support them to do what they do best, and also like lean into the work that they're trying to do. We, so one of the elements is definitely financial need. Like how do we just uh, and make their visions happen and supplement, but also supplement their time and their efforts and give them access to that. Um, access to space is one that happens That's a lot huge. here. In, yeah. So, you know, for us, this was also a lot of changes. It's like, how do we <laughs> go against the norm of this kind of space museum like yeah. gallery space also how do it we is, break down the system yeah it is very so, new so it was new to well new to us new program um new practice um but also like in the midst of all that like how do we care for each individual That's and right. as a collective That's and right. in, and me and angela and even tanisha like how do we care for ourselves as we move into spaces with these artists that are also counting on us it's that same feeling that's I'm sure a lot of leaders and you guys feel from your communities that weight. It's like, oh, I'm holding it down. <laughs> but the same time, like, I need a moment. <laughs> I need a moment and to heal and to even like even grief. There's been um, 
one of the things I always personally and bring back to YBCA is um, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we also had other fellows they were working with and some of them had to mourn their projects and mourn their work and like say goodbye. And there was a moment where I was like, man, I'm about to say goodbye to everything. (laughs) Um, So I'm here in essence, hearing Alex's work, I think about those, hearing you two, I'm thinking about, you guys got me quiet in the corner over here reflecting. I'm thinking about my mom, actually, a lot. Um, And last summer, she had brain surgery. So, like, going back to, like, her, and she's slowly relearning things, and Kara thinking about and the translations, how we're taught out so many things. We taught, we're being taught out as we grow and built into society to be less creative, but also knowing that we need creativity and we don't know where to find it. And we're also leaning into where can we get permission to have access to arts and creativity, which makes it very essential for artists and having artists at the table because it reminds us, it gives us the memory, that connectional memory of like, oh, it's okay to play. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to get some paint on the wall. It's okay to like what Alex is doing, like restructure when there's parameters that change. Like how does that go? And still keep the essence and intention of all the way. I think in communities where um, we're holding one another accountable, we have to kind of be able to move without being so concerned, whether it's creative, creatively or politically about making mistakes. I think that's something that like my community right now has been just communicating about a lot. Like if we do get stuck on not doing anything because we don't want it to be imperfect, like we can't be, we can't be stuck like that. We got to keep going and we got to keep like, I think also having grace with one another and, and, whatever it is, like transformative justice processes when they're, when we do get it wrong, you know, but kind of like dismantling even the binary between like perpetrator and victim. Like it's, it's not always binary like that. There's more nuance. It's a lot of, um, yeah. So anyways, I just like that you raised the piece about perfection. And I would also say just, I think YBCA has been such a phenomenal, I'm, I just am so grateful for the way that you've held space for us and done it an embodied um, way of like, we are, you know, y'all are human beings and we're in this human process together and this is collaborative and even inviting critique of the institution and, you know, responding to it. And just, I don't know, I just, I'm super grateful. It's like, I've never had an experience like this before really. So um, just grateful for y'all. Thank you. So haven't I. <laughs> That's all new. But essential, I think that's how, uh, you know, uh, I had this outside conversation where trauma uh, came up and I was like, what does, how do we lean into trauma where it's like, maybe it's good, it's a good thing we're talking about it. Maybe it's a good thing that it came out. What does that look like? Of course, like, how do we hold and this understanding when somebody has the boundary, like, I don't have, I can't talk about it right now, but also uplifting it where, like, it's a, uh, and this is how I see your, your prototype, um, your experience, Alex, is like the rage and being upset, like, you're, you're right, people almost romanticize it, like, okay, you feel this, and then now you feel that, and you should be happy, oh, it happened, you should forget about it, like, 
put it in the drawer. But maybe I do need a moment to be upset. And what does that look like? Hell yeah. Because I don't it know was- if, if grief is something that we're supposed to forget and move on from right now it should be more like a scab or a scar right that you hold and it's on you it's a part of you we've passed through it and we continue and i was really also like inspired by some of the grief work that was being done by um collaborators in london like camille barton and um drawing on like sabona fusome's um work as well around like communal grief practices and how in her community um in burkina faso like they would have regular communal grief um, like ceremonies where it's like, doesn't matter if you're grieving something small or large, but you're probably grieving something like let's make space for it. And, and that if that isn't offered to the community to have space to grieve, then the community becomes unwell. So I think a lot about that. And like, again, to your point, it's not this linear, like now you grieve, now you're angry, now you heal. That's why the, um, pieces circular because I want it to to know that it's not um, these things are always in relationship to each other it's not you go from point a to point b to point c that's not how it goes and it's not anything that one should be ashamed of if you feel like you did a lot of healing work and you're still really pissed off today like that's real that's you know fair and I and I want to uh what was it yesterday when you were talking to me and a couple of of the staff about your your work when it's you say circular i was like actually i see a shell that and and i love that you reference water and i was like where do the shells come from you see them in the ocean you see them and i was like all right and i i always think about like this wound the wound of the mother and i was like this shell that you have itself this co- and indiana has the cocoons in the back so i was like i love this kind of connection of being held yes a yeah. container but it's it's a container but it's not a container as in like you're you're being bottled up but it's more like a, a space for protection because that's yeah. what a shell does love love yeah and i wanted to also just um, see if kara had anything to add to this conversation i also have a con- another question for you too but oh go ahead i love where this is heading i think liberation is about protection and care oh. Yeah, and I I feel like it flows almost into like what I've been trying to look at around home Um, and thinking about, you know, we create these prototypes and we're saying this is for community, it's for community. And I started thinking about like, what about for people who don't feel they even have community or and, and because of the ways that gentrification especially dismantles our communities in physical space, I started thinking about like um, how without you know, I was just thinking about my, my brother is like a, a black radical geographer and he does work around like how blackness as a experience is like your relationship to the state is that you're not um, believed to have any control or any um any right, any right to your space. Even the space that you're standing on, you don't have any right to it. You don't have right to really life or space or anything else. And I thought about how it is that if we don't have space, we don't have a home, we can't build our communities without them being dismantled. It really makes it difficult to have the space and time to heal. So I was thinking a lot about like space and how you think about um, healing justice as it relates to like land and home and community 
Um, Interesting question because I'm I'm going really mobile. I've been mobile for the last, I guess, five years. When I was the executive director of the Audrey Lord Project, we started building mobile wellness teams, which is something we started as Kindred Collective in the South. Like, I'm, I'm there's so many places that focused on building bricks and mortar that were doing healing justice work, and they many of them have closed down. Um, one, because I do think I interchangeably use healers and cultural workers. Sometimes they're not one and the same, but in general, healers and cultural workers, um, I feel like sometimes the energy to do the visionary piece and the creation and the healing work doesn't always leave them space and time for the admin and the, and the business part of it. <laughs> and so they're like, I just wanna create, I just wanna heal. And holding a business is like so much, so much work. Um, so some folks have chosen to just heal and create. And so I've moved more into like a mobile space. I certainly looking at the crisis where we're facing around abortion politics in this country, no matter what side you're on, the reality is, is like, this is returning back to the past. <laughs> and like that in the seventies and the sixties, there was a lot of mobility for us to do work underground, you know, and above ground without being seen. And I do think there's more of that kind of ingenuity, intuition, creativity coming, um, because I, I feel like we, we're, we're about to, there's like so much power rising for our movements and so much counter coming. I, I, don't, I don't think we've seen the worst of it. And, and I mean, just people out here just doing, saying things, off, off the chain, they cannot handle the interruption. Right, the, the disruption we are providing, um, and I think it will lead to immense violence. So I'm I'm really down for mobile strategies right now. Like how can we keep it moving um, and fluid? I'm also very um, interested in international work. I'm about to hopefully go to Senegal to meet mm. healers and cultural workers there who are interested in healing justice. Um, I've met with human rights defenders, women human rights, let me be clear, feminist human rights, uh -huh. holding healing houses, healing circles, doing grief work that is on the move because they're working with survivors of war and torture and they cannot, they cannot be sta um, stationary. Um, mm. They have to be um, underground or mobile um, mm. for purposes. So um, it's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, Powerful is how, how we can move things. I'm not saying that we can't keep anything stationary, but sure. I just feel like we kind of lost some of, in some, some, some of us in our movement work, I feel like we started to moor ourselves, like get really attached <laughs> to the place and land that we're on. I was like, you could still be about your place. But mm. I guess I'm asking a question, watching all the migratory patterns of natural disasters and global fascism, we can still bring place where we go. We have to bring ritual ceremony that we know where we go and recreate place, but we kind of got to be on the move. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I love, I love that you said that because I feel like sometimes uh, like I've felt a guilt around not staying put, whether it's where I'm from mm. not staying put, or not staying put in the Bay, which is like one of my deepest communities and coming to your work in London. And, you know, like I feel like this whole Black diaspora homemaking and um, this whole installation, which has like Black Diaspora homemaking as one of its central focuses, is really because it's like, where is home? Like, is, yes, I is okay. I don't in this country can I ever feel at home? And also, how do we in in our nomadicism, if that's a word, um, can we 
in each place, what are the elements that bring us home? Like mobile strategies, what is it that helps us feel centered? What are the like resources that we do need, even if we're on the move, that this gives me my roots, you know, or carry my... <laughs> cool. So I'm just, yeah, I'm grateful that you said that because I feel it. I really feel it. We always say in, from the Kindred Collective that healing justice is rooted in place. We started in the South. We don't think it's an accident that when people started taking it out nationally and internationally, they didn't say it was Black, they didn't say it was feminist, they didn't say it was Southern, right? Like it completely diffused um, who the who the architects, if you will, of the work were. Um, not surprising, but in the, what's always important to us is in relationship to land, work, body, and spirit, and that you root in the conditions of place where you are. And people are like, well, but wait, I move a lot. What do you mean that I'm always looking in place? I'm like, who are you accountable to? And you don't necessarily have to live there to be accountable to them. But what we're saying is you can't parachute into a new place, say that it's your place, and that you understand the conditions and the emotional, spiritual, psychic needs of that place. Like, not quite. So who are you accountable to? What are your... It's not that you have to have a mooring to that place, but what is your relationship to the people, the land, the economy, and the spirit of that place? Then you ask the question, what are the conditions that need to be worked with that that create a space of healing? I just want to add, um, as you're saying, um, Alex knows this. Um, I have, I'm from L.A., born and raised in the neighborhood and I still have my 310, you know, I'm very, so when you're saying like, you don't have to be with place, you know, I come, I've been living in San Francisco for 12 years now. So like a lot of people see me as San Franciscan and I'm like, no, my veins run blue. <laughs> I'm very proud of where I come from. And recently I was, uh, and through an open call, I got my story collected by a uh, one of the Adobe houses in Long Beach um, called uh, Rancho El Cerritos that were, actually was about home. And I, Alex, I believe I mentioned this to you a couple of times and what makes home. And they couldn't categorize. One, they were weirded out because they were like, oh, you live in SF, but you're claiming LA. And then two, um, I didn't have a category of what I mean by home. You know, people are talking about their actual physical house objects family and i was like well i grew up homeless and i live in san francisco now um so uh i'm very proud to say that i got the category self-defining <laughs> um but along with that i i always how was it and how do i approach community especially when i'm new to it and i always say i'm full of analogies and like you know, I'm a visual person too. So uh, I always say that, well, how will you approach if you go to your mom, somebody's mama's house? Exactly. That's right. I saw your hand, Tanisha. <laughs> exactly. That's it. It's like, how do you approach mm -hmm. like, if you think of a neighborhood, like, oh, somebody's home, that is. Yes. So I was like, do you come in and just put your your feet on their couch? Shit. Do you just go in the room? Do you come start on. opening the covers? Right. Like, what do you what no. do? You, do? you are asking for permission, first of all. You have to ask, yes. Consent. Yeah. Consent. Yeah. Let and alone, can you imagine? Yeah. Going to places and saying, I'm going to heal you. Having heal I'm talking about social justice healers arriving in towns that they have no connection to and saying, I'm going to heal you. I'm like, what just happened? That's not not an invitation. 
Yeah, like, there's a know. level of audacity behind that. That's what I'm saying. Goal, you know? We have to be cautious and intentional. Yeah. And oh, I always yeah. say, imagine if I go in your mama's house and I'm like, I'm going to paint the walls this color. This co Come on. Even I though. you would. No. <laughs> On one leg with her bionic new knee, she would snatch <laughs> several things. No. <laughs> so it, it that's my analogy to, to folks now. It's like how do yeah. you go into your parent your mom's house? And I always say mom or grandma. I was like right. the elder of the household who's there holding right. you know, she holds it. So how the do elder, you the guardian? And you know it's the mom. So oh, when you go most, into the neighborhood, you better identify them leaders, <laughs> them absolutely. elders. <laughs> absolutely. Man, I know we could go on and on and on forever for sure. I know, Kara, you have to roll Alex as well. I want to be respectful of your times. Um, Kara, I know you got to hop off, but let's take a second if you want to share anything, particularly if there's anything you've got going on that you want folks to be uh, yeah. cognizant of and awareness and aware of and just any other closing remarks you'd like to share. Sure thing. This has been an honor to be with all of you and to be in this exciting conversation. I wanted to say divergent. I don't even know what I mean. Convergent. Convergent conversation about what, what's evolving. I wonder what it'll be like this time next year, what questions we'll be asking. I just want to give a shout out to my crew at the Changing Frequencies Project. We're a new Black feminist-led um, political project and cultural memory project, really, where I am the artist and cultural worker um, seeking to build partnerships with other artists, organizers, and health practitioners to use cultural memory installations that either heighten our awareness of stories around the medical industrial complex and or are looking to disrupt the MIC through co-creation of work. I also want to give a shout out to Erica Woodland, my co-author and co-conspirator that we just co-wrote um, with uh, other anthology contributors, Healing Justice Lineages, Dreaming at the Crossroads of Liberation, Collective Care, and Safety. And that book will be out in January. Oh, February. Sorry. February 2023. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm yes. so excited. We're so excited. We're in the middle of it. It's, it's going to be awesome. Thank you so much, Kara. It's such an honor. This has been and fantastic. I just love what you're doing. Alex, I want to come visit you in London or wherever you are. But we'll, we'll, we'll find we'll find crossover. And Dr. Tanisha Singleton and Annalisa, <laughs> just like keep doing what you do. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for bringing your spirit Thanks, and your girl. work. So grateful. Thank you. Alex, why don't you uh, share with us too some of your closing remarks or, and how what sure. folks can... Um, expect and i know this will be out you know before may 14th so we're definitely going to push people to see your work and i know it's going to be there at ybca for throughout the summer so yeah for sure take some time to you know even just reflect with being able to converse with kara like this and yeah. what you're feeling kind of right now and and plug everything people can can absorb of your work yeah i feel so grateful for this conversation um i think it was an opportunity to connect with somebody who has been doing the work that i'm just now um, coming to coming to relationship with um, hearing the richness of experience and the interconnections between whether it's spirituality and art and dismantling the medical industrial com complex um, to um, our relationship to land to mobility to really international solidarities global solidarities all of these things I'm like grateful for 
the steady work that Kara has done for more than 30 years that now, you know, like gives me so much even more foundation to what I'm trying to do to affect really for my communities. Because even though, like we were saying, the contexts are different, we have to be responsive to the context. We have to be rooted in place. We have to be accountable to people. And we also know that all of these experiences are being affected and shaped by the same systems. So we have so much that we can learn, I think, by having conversations intergenerationally where, you know, for me, knowing that I'm not the one originating this work, this is something that I'm really standing on the shoulders of many people who've um, pushed the conversations and, and the work and the organizing forward. So just grateful. Thank you also both for just holding space for us and for contributing and for, yeah, it's, I always get out of loss for words for like this relationship with YBCA, but I feel very supported and um, yeah, continuing to just learn and grow through this relationship. So I, I and, am, yeah, yeah, I feel better because of this conversation like a long-term better right not just like in the moment i just feel like i got filled with gas right like i feel like i'm full fuller yeah. right and just better um so thank you and thank kara and 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 annalisa as well because yeah this is we have to have a part two because these things are just so so much and so rich and that's you know I, that's why i like the translator kind of metaphor of of yeah. the work that you all do because we're using different tools like a swiss army knife kind of right like there's different instruments yeah and it's all to completely you know it's all an offering or they're all service instruments of yeah. this memory this cultural work right yeah. and through these different passages that's why i also love that you called your your installation like reroot right yeah and in the, the two different you know spellings and ways yeah. right like yeah. it's the passage through and we're digging up where we come from and acknowledging that but then we're also rerouting yes our own map, yes. which will be different through processing. I love it. Thank you for that synopsis. That was so beautiful. And I guess that is a good segue to say May 14th is the opening event. Yes. The experience <laughs> um, And in addition to that, I'm directing Oakland, which is a documentary about Oakland's lead poisoning crisis and how it's affecting black and brown children in our communities, even at higher rates than Flint, Michigan. Um, so really looking at environmental racism in the Bay Area with that documentary project. Wow. And also um, really in relationship to what Kara was um, speaking to on the medical industrial complex. The other film that I directed and is in post-production is called Heart Race. And it's about my cousins um, trying to obtain a heart transplant while he's grappling with racial inequity in Milwaukee. Um, so that's a whole other side of really like medical and environmental racism that I'm looking at. So I have those two projects. You can follow me on Instagram um, at Alex J. Bledsoe. Amazing. I will, for sure, we will have all of these uh, links and ads and handles in the in the description box because this work is amazing. These projects mm -hmm. sound just, just rich. Thank you, you so know? much. Loss Thanks. of words, right, Annalisa? We're just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. Hold on to it. Yeah. So excited for May Saturday, May 14th, 12 to 6 at YBCA. Check out Alex's work. Also check out the rest of the, just the whole 10 together. Right. All the, experience. the work, they, the whole experience, Dream Seeds, it's coming up, come meet them, come celebrate. Mm -hmm. um, 
because the work will still be there for months throughout the summer but may 14th that'll be the opportunity to meet the artists meet alex meet everyone while they're there so that you can engage and experience and have dialogue and, and space with these with the completely multidisciplinary and and um work and intention of, of all of these things so it's going to be absolutely beautiful and i'm going to get up there too for it for sure not gonna miss oh that. yeah come through come have come celebrate no doubt yes mm -hmm. so excited and the performances man we're oh about to have some poetry some <laughs> drumming it, it, and you know i don't even know what else is happening so <laughs> there will be couple, happenings there's a lot of happenings that they will be you know <laughs> celebratory um because each yeah. all of us has come we've been working on this for a while and it's been a process and now it's a moment for us to just regather and bring other people and welcome other people and invite them in to see what we've been doing i love it let's get it let's get it awesome well alex thank you again so much for taking the time out for us this is, has you. been awesome absolutely thank awesome so and amazing thank you so grateful for the space thank you Links will be provided in the show notes on how to get in touch with and learn more about Alex and Kara. We welcome feedback from our community and invite you all to reach out to us here at YBCA. Visit us at ybca.org for more information regarding not only the 10, but all the various programs, opportunities, and events YBCA hosts to generate culture that moves people. Your support of YBCA fuels new paths forward for artists serving the needs of their community, bringing connection, hope, and possibility through their creative enterprises. Links to make a contribution will also be provided in the description box and can be found on the website as well. So please be sure to sign up for the newsletter to not miss out on any of the latest news and updates. Plus, to get a behind the scenes perspective of all things art and activism, follow us on social media at YBCA on both Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening.